for the ways that you're stirring surrender. I thank you for how you stirred surrender and confession in Nick, Lord, and I thank you for the way that you're drawing near to us and how you're showing each one of us the goodness that you have for us and the ways that we don't always lift our souls to you. And so, Lord, would you continue to draw us to be a generation that does seek you in your ways? Amen. So we um, we have been on a a journey. We always say that. I was struck by that as I was writing my manuscript. That for the last several months, we start our sermons by saying that we are on a journey. Um, but it's not cliche because it's true. We are all on a journey of learning what it means that our identity is hidden with Christ on high. On a journey of knowing what it means that we are His, and that He's made us to reflect Him. And so we've been um, walking through identity and we've looked at how we've been set free. We've been looking at how we are known inherently and yet loved relentlessly. We've seen how we're never alone and how we're never abandoned. And we've seen how we are somehow, by his grace, heirs of God's glorious kingdom, deposited to us through his Holy Spirit. And last week we saw that each one of us is chosen for a purpose. And this morning, we're going to look at how each one of us, inherent to our identity, is the reality that we are always protected and provided for when we're walking into his purposes. And so we're going to pick up the story that we started last week with Gideon. And I'm in Judges chapter 7. Verses 1 to 25, so we're on page 381 in your seat Bibles. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me, saying, My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, He shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, 
I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but he kept 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley, and during that night the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Perah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Perah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, and it struck the tent with such a force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies... He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp below, yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and they broke the jars that were in their hands. And the 300 companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. And they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Bethshida toward Zererah as far as the border of Abel-Meholah near Tabith. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and Al-Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Bethbarah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Bethbara. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. So, um... I love impossible stories. This was one of my favorite stories growing up. 
I remember in Sunday school, they would give us these little instruments and, you know, like jars, and you'd walk in a circle. I see Sunday school teachers shaking their heads, they know. We love impossible stories. Um, Another one of my favorite impossible stories growing up was that of the series of Lord of the Rings. Do we have any Lord of the Rings fans in the I know you are, Pastor Dave. (laughs) I loved the story of the little hobbit Bilbo and his nephew, Frodo. And this super long, drawn-out story of the impossible mission that Frodo had been called out on. Because Frodo had been commissioned to take this one ring of power that threatened to destroy the whole world and he had to go all the way across Middle Earth and he had to burn it at this mountain. And for what is it, like seven books, this goes on, just one obstacle after another, one impossible moment after another, until finally Frodo manages to save all of Middle Earth from evil. We love impossible stories. And we see an impossible story this morning with Gideon. Because as hard as it had to have been for Gideon to live in his current context, as difficult as it would have been for him to live under the oppression of the Midianites that we read about last week, as hard as it was for him to plant crops in the ground with his own hands and see them stolen by another nation and to see his people hiding in caves I can't help but think that for Gideon, this assignment from the Lord to take Midian out felt even more difficult. You, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, the Lord had said to him, go and strike down Midian. This is no easy task. In both Judges 6 that we read last week and in Judges 7 that we read this morning, it's noted that just the camels of Midian alone outnumber the sand in the seashore. It's not even men, it's camels. We also see that Midian had aligned themselves with several eastern peoples in this same valley. So we're looking at this massive army whose camels outnumber the entire population of Israel. Go in the strength that you have, the Lord had said to Gideon. What strength, Gideon had to have wondered. He was a weak man from a weak tribe, as he named. Gideon was a farmer. A farmer. He wasn't a military man. He wasn't a great prince of Egypt with troves of wisdom like Moses had been. He wasn't a mighty warrior like Joshua had been. He wasn't a faithful prophet like Deborah, the judge before him, had been. He was Gideon. He was a weak man and a poor man and a farmer. The whole scene was crazy. It really was. A supposed angel of the Lord sending a weak farmer on what appeared to be a suicide mission. But each time Gideon pushed back and he asked God to confirm through a series of tests that this voice truly was God, that this angel truly had been sent from God and that God truly was calling him to strike down Midian. And each time God responded and he met Gideon. And so finally, Gideon had come into agreement with God's calling on his life. 
he would obey this angel of the Lord and he would go and strike down Midian. And so Gideon did what any rational man who had just been told he was going to war would do. Gideon had assembled the largest standing army that Israel could muster. He stood on the top of that hill with 32,000 able-bodied men. If he was going to go to war, Gideon was going to go in swinging as hard as he could. He was going to go in with all the strength that he could muster and all the strength that Israel could put together. But God had different plans. Israel needs to know that it is I who protect them, said the Lord. They need to know that I am the one who's going to provide this victory, not strong leaders and not big armies. And so we're going to raise the stakes a little bit. Send anyone who is afraid home. Quite frankly, I'm surprised anybody stayed. But just like that, 22,000 men handed their trumpets to the remaining 10,000 and went home. Gideon must have been horrified. Watching over two-thirds of his army walk off. And what was left was not nearly enough for the task at hand. But God wasn't done yet. Take them down to the water to drink, God had said. I want only the men who cup water in their hands and lap it like a dog. Send everybody else home. I bet Gideon was walking and watching and counting, like, guys, do it this way. Do it this way. But 9,700 of them got sent home because they drank the water differently. 300 men with a farmer as their general standing on the top of a hill, looking at the camp of Midian and a swelling army. It's astounding. And the terror had to have started to settle in. I think that had I been Gideon, I don't know that I'd have had the guts to even believe that angel. I think I just would have been like, well, that was weird. I'm going to go home now. (laughs) Go home now. And I don't know that even if I had believed that angel, that I'd have had it in me to send those men home. It would have been all too easy to say, God, you know, I'll do this battle thing for you, but they're coming with me. I won't do this with just 300. I don't know that I would have been able to let go of the control that 3,200 men would have provided me in my own purview. To trust that God was going to provide the victory and to trust his strength to be sufficient over my own. I think the temptation to completely freeze as I watched my army walk off would have been pretty strong. It would have been a lot easier to just go home and do my own thing, to keep living my life the way that I wanted to. Life for Gideon had been difficult, but it certainly hadn't been take out a massive army with 300 people hard. But just as God had chosen old and barren Abraham and Sarah to bear a nation, just as he'd chosen Moses to take Israel up from out of Egypt, just as he'd chosen Joshua to topple the mighty city of Jericho, God had chosen Gideon to do something impossible. In Bible times, to walk with God was not an easy task. 
to live life his way, to obey his commands, to follow his orders. They were tall orders. They were orders that required an awful lot out of people. But things haven't really changed all that much. In the last several weeks, we've been walking through this series on identity as a church. We've been digging deep and we've been asking the Lord to show us each who we are in him. We've invited God to show us how to live into the realities that we're his, that we're free, that we're loved, that we have purposes. The Lord has been stirring hearts and he's been sifting really hard things to the surface. He's been asking us to do some pretty big, pretty deep, even some impossible things. Many of us are in the midst of deep foundational work. The Lord's been sifting difficult things to the surface. Difficult memories, old wounds and hard questions. I've heard many people wonder things aloud, like, why am I this way? Why do I respond to things this way? Who am I? And what has God made me to do? Who has he made me to be? These are really hard questions. And it's surprisingly difficult to stand in front of a mirror with the Lord and to ask them. To look at what has been and to ask the Lord what could be. Some of us are in the throes of responding to God's invitation to walk as heirs of righteousness and holiness. We've come to terms with the reality that like the nation of Israel in their promised land, we have allowed sin to take root in our camps. We have failed to take hold of all the goodness and inheritance that he promised us. And we're trying to sort out what it looks like to take the land back. It still feels so hard to examine how we spend our time, how we use our energy, how we respond to things, and how we live into each moment of every day as he would offer us to. And for the others of us, God has been inviting us to bring the realities of this glorious inheritance into our homes, into our marriages, into our workplaces, into all of our relationships. To be employees who set higher standards, to be bearers of peace and friends who consistently point to Jesus, to be spouses who love and forgive without limit, and to be parents who persistently mirror the Father's love. To be people of prayer and peace and humility no matter what. And for still others of us, the Lord has been stirring and clarifying very specific callings, purposes, positions, roles, spheres of authority, big, scary, lofty things that make many of us turn back like Gideon and say, no, 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 Lord, you got the wrong person. I can't do this. And in all of these situations, all of these things that the Lord has been asking of us and bringing to the surface the same temptations that rose up for Gideon rise up in us. So first responders who study and pay attention to how people react to difficult situations talk about the reactions of fight, fight, flight, 
or freeze. You've heard these before? These are the three paths that people most often default to when facing difficult challenges or circumstances. When God calls us to pursue holiness or to step into a new calling or position, we can be tempted to fight. To strive and to muster and to fight in our own strength to accomplish whatever God's asking us to do. We muscle through our pain and our temptations and we shove it all down. We pretend that it doesn't exist and we perform ourselves into the kind of people that we think God is asking us to be. We make our own way into whatever he's calling us to do. We say the right things, we do the right stuff, and we make our own battle plans. We gather our own armies instead of waiting for his timing, for his plans, for his ways, and for his victory. Some of us are more tempted to flee, to run away and say, no, no, I don't really want to dig deep. I feel that old pain in me rising and I don't want to feel it again. I don't want to do the hard work of sifting through who I am and who God has made me to be. I don't want to submit it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to share this. And I don't really want to ask God what he has for me beyond my current reality because I'm good just the way I am. I'm fine right here. And I think almost all of us initially feel tempted to freeze. To feel the gravity of what God may be inviting us into, the weight of what it might cost us, the emotion and the time and the surrender and go, nope, I can't do that. It's not for me and I don't have it in me. All of these would have been totally fair and logical reactions for Gideon. Could have said, no way, God. I'm, I'm not going in with 300. I'm going to do this my way. I'm taking all of them. And we're going with swords. He could have just fled, packed up and went back to his wine press. And he could have just totally frozen, unsure of how to move forward. But he didn't. God once again graciously reassured Gideon of his calling, his purpose, his very identity through the dream of a Midianite. If you're afraid, God had said, that's fine. Just go down to the camp and listen. Just bizarre. So Midian and Pura go down to camp, and what do they hear in the camp? There's a Midianite who had a dream about a loaf of bread rolling in and crashing the tents of Midian. And another Midianite goes, oh, that's, that's Gideon, because God has surely given Midian into the hands of Gideon. Gideon's faith was bolstered, and he had finally discerned that this was indeed his task, his role, his identity, that he would be protected, that he would be provided for. And so Gideon began to ready his 300 men for battle. God had told Gideon to divide the 300 into groups of 100, and in the middle of the night, without a single sword, without a shield, three troops of 100 men marched down in the valley carrying trumpets in one hand and torches covered with clay jars in the left. It almost looks like little boys playing war. Like, what are you doing? But at Gideon's command, 100 and then the remaining 200 
blew those trumpets and they smashed their jars and they shouted, For the Lord and for Gideon. And the sleeping camp was flooded with a calamity of noise. Yelling men and blaring horns, crashing pottery, and the light of 300 torches shone out in the darkness. And the Lord caused the Midianites to turn on one another in shock and confusion. As the few that survived fled from the camp, the men of Israel picked them off. Through Gideon, the Lord had defeated the mighty Midianites with worship and with light. He had protected his people. He had provided the victory with astonishing ease and he was glorified. The victory over Midian hadn't required the blood of 32,000 Israelites. It hadn't required a mighty war general and his mighty weapons. It required obedience to God's ways. It required worship. It required breaking And it required light. God had chosen an imperfect vessel for an impossible task. For the purpose of making his goodness and his glory known to Gideon, to his people, and to the whole world that still hears about this astonishing victory. This is what he does. This is what he's made us for. This is our identity. God chooses us, broken as we are, and he calls us to really impossible things. Not because we can do it, but because we can't. And he can. And then he protects us and he provides as we walk in his timing, in his ways, in his plans, in his purposes, so that through our weakness he is glorified. So that through our obedience, his goodness is made known. And so that through us and our lives, his kingdom becomes reality. For the last several years, the Lord has stirred so many in this church to pray for the revival of our churches. Revival of our city. Holy revival for the world. It's impossible. But as a community, we've discerned together that the Lord is asking us to embody, advance, and proclaim his kingdom to our neighborhood, to our city, and to the world. And friends, this is not an easy task. It's required a lot out of us. We labor in prayer. We walk the streets. We encounter kingdom clash and pushback. We wait on the Lord for his instructions and his timing, for his victory for his armies. And we're still counting on him to protect and to provide and to make a way in his perfect timing. And in the midst of that, he's doing a whole lot of work in each one of us. I don't know what God's been asking of you in this process. I don't know what he's been stirring. And if you're visiting with us, I don't know what he's been stirring in you on your journey. I don't know what he's inviting us to step into. I don't know how painful it is or how scary it is, how impossible it seems or what it's going to require. And I don't even know how long it's going to take. But I do know who our God is. And I know how good his plans are. 
So if you feel something stirring in you, the first step is to discern it, as Gideon did. We're a church that values discernment. So take what's bubbling and make sure that it's something that would bring glory to the Lord. Consider whether what he's asking of you is in line with his character. Is this something that the Jesus Christ that we see in the Bible would say, would ask of you? Ask a spirit-filled friend about it. Share it. Ask them to pray into it with you, to walk with you. And together ask the Lord what kind of fruit that this would bear if you followed his heeding. Is this going to bear kingdom fruit? And if all of this is from the Lord, then your next step is to decide if you're willing to give up your plans, your hopes, your dreams, your ways of working it all out. Are you willing to lay down your expectations and your timelines, your battle plans and your armies in favor of worshiping, being broken, and seeking his light until victory comes? See, the protection of the Lord is contingent upon obeying his way. We have to do it his way in order to have his protection and his provision. So if you've made it to this point with the thing that's stirring, the next step is to trust him to be your protector, to be your provider every step of the way. This is the hope of our inheritance in him. Because the God who's inviting you to dig deep, to relay the very foundation of who you are, is the God who promises us in Philippians 1 that when he begins a good work in us, he brings it unto completion. The God who stirs your heart, who gives you calling, is the God who promises in 1 Thessalonians 5 that when he calls, he is faithful. He is the one that brings it to completion. The God who's calling you to step into impossible things is the God who promises us in Deuteronomy that we have nothing to fear because he goes before us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And he's the God who promises that there's a season for all things and his timing is always perfect. I was reminded of how in The Lord of the Rings, the character Gandalf, who represents the Lord's presence, says, a wizard never arrives early or too late. He arrives precisely when he means to. God promises us that kind of timing. He's the God who promises us in Psalm 91 to command his angel armies concerning us. The Lord reminded me of that this week. We walk with legions of angels when we're walking in his purposes. (laughs) Right? So good. He's the one who showed us how to pray on his army in Ephesians 6 and to stand in victory as beloved sons and daughters and conquerors in Romans 8. And as I read through our text for this morning, I was so amazed at how the Lord met Gideon at each step of the way. He called, he confirmed, he confirmed again, he confirmed again. He built an army, he pared it down, he pared it down, he pared it down, he gave them the tools, he sent them in, he sorted them out every step of the way with astounding provision and protection. This is our inheritance. We are those who are called to walk with the Lord. 
to live as he leads, to walk with his purposes, and to be vessels who bear his kingdom. And to that end, we are those who are protected. We are those who are provided for as we walk with him every step of the way. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you promise us that all your ways towards us are good. And I thank you that you promise us that your ways are higher and that we are made for purpose. And so, Lord, whatever is bubbling up in each one, I pray that you would show them whether or not it's from you. Lord, would you give us wisdom to discern your ways and your will? Lord, would you... um. Bless us with the patience to wait on your timing. Would you bless us with the humility to surrender our plans and our purposes to you? Lord, would you shape us and refine us, and would you help us to be those who bear your kingdom, to be those who walk your way and who walk in your protection and in your provision? Lord, would you surprise us with your goodness? Amen.